safer sex. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Contraceptive. Sexual health. Sexual health. Hi there. I'm Heather, and you're listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast, where we talk about all things related to sexual health. This week is Youth Week, which is a celebration of young people that takes place in every state and territory in Australia. Young people have unique sexual health needs, both in terms of their STI and HIV risk, and in terms of their experiences around sex and relationships. They're often exploring these issues for the first time and learning a lot about themselves, about their partners and about their peers. The right support and education can be vital to making sure that young people in our community stay safe, healthy and happy during these super important years. We spoke to Kevin Heath from the Southeastern Sydney Local Health District HIV and Related Programs Unit and sex educator and intimacy coach Georgia about their unique approaches to working with young people. So my name's Kevin Heath. I work for the HARP unit, the HIV and AIDS related program unit for the South East Sydney Local Health District. My position title is I'm a male Aboriginal sexual education promotion officer. So my role entitles me to run programs with schools and communities in the local health district uh, with local Aboriginal men, young Aboriginal men between 15 to 25. Uh, basically what I do is I run programs uh, that will cater to the boys, obviously getting my topic across sexual health and going in depth with sexual health and hepatitis, hep C. Um, and then basically uh, I run these programs over six to eight weeks and each week we'll cover different topics. It's all about prevention and awareness. So we try and get in early so we can tell them, you know, the do's and the don'ts, the right from the wrong and give them the right information, not this sort of myth information a lot of kids have, you know, can I catch chlamydia from a toilet seat? It's more about giving them the right information and the right resources they can use. Um, for example, obviously condoms, uh, our you know, safe tattooing guides that we have in our storeroom that we, we obviously give out in our events. And the other thing that we obviously do is we link them up to referrals. So we have a very strong relationship with um, local GPs. And we, we, you know, we're the sort of the person in between. We try and help the kids build that uh, relationship with the GPs rather than having to go all the way into a sexual clinic but in saying that we have a good relationship with you know sexual health clinics in our local health district to be able to get the kids to go in and feel comfortable sometimes we you know we've got to you know piggyback them and help them and hold their hand for the first couple of times but once they realize just how easy it is like going to the doctor to get yourself sorted for a flu um, it's exactly the same with the kids. So I'm sure most of our listeners can remember being young people and things like sexually transmitted infections and hepatitis C not necessarily being at the top of their priority list. So to put it bluntly, how do you make young people care? So to put it bluntly, it's basically healthy you, healthy me. So a lot of the time I go in there and don't scare them straight away, but I more or less give them the, the, the... get them to stop for a sec and get them to think about how would they feel later on in life if they found the love of their life and they want to have kids and wait a second, she can't have kids because she never got checked when she was younger and she may have carried an STI for so long. And then they think, oh, and I go, what would you do? And they're like, oh, I'm like, it's the love of your life. And then I go, radio, what would you do if you were the one that, what, would, what do you expect her to do if you couldn't do 
give her a baby because you didn't look after yourself from a young age and, and you could have carried an STI for so long it can cause infertility. Um, and they stop and they think, oh, and I sort of, that's how I put it in blunt, basically, at the start. Before I do anything, before I start going into information, I guess that's where I try and tell them that it's important to look after yourself, sex, like sexually, um, information, like, sorry, sexual health. It's because when you look at it, they think, oh, sex, sex, sex. It's like, yeah, sexual health, okay, cool. But they don't look at the long run, and then that's where, I guess, with my education sessions, it's more about not looking about Friday night, it's, it's looking past Friday night. So if you go out and you muck around on Friday night, well, yeah, okay, cool, you mucked around, but you, did you do, were you good about it? Did you look after yourself? If you didn't, do you know how to look after yourself now? So I guess, put it bluntly, that's basically how I do. You know, what would you do if you're in a situation? What would you do if they're in that situation? How would you feel? And it starts to get their mind thinking like, oh, crap, I'm, you know, a lot of the time they're scared, they don't want to know, so if they don't know, they don't, they don't need to know. But you try and help them gain that confidence that's saying, you know, it's better to know and better to look after yourself because in the long run it's, it's your health and potentially not just affect you but it could affect someone else later on in life. So a lot of the work that you do brings sexual health promotion into areas that don't immediately seem related to it, such as sports. So tell us, what does football have to do with sexually transmitted infections? So... I'm lucky enough because obviously I have a sporting background myself and um, with young kids, a lot of them are into sport, either play it or support it. So it's a good way for me to break that barrier at the start rather than coming in as a sex officer, sexual health education officer. It's more about me coming in as Kev, I'm Kevin, and building that relationship, building that trust. Just like any kid, um, Indigenous kids find the need to want to build that trust from the start you ruin it from the start, well then you've got a long long haul to try and gain their trust again. So I guess it's a good avenue for me to build that relationship with the boys. Uh, you know, there is a stigma around rugby league boys mucking around too much, playing up, blah, 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 as you get older. So, you know, being able to tie in with the boys, rugby, rugby league boys, um, not just rugby league, but any sporting kids, any sporting background, it's enabled me to firstly gain their confidence in me, gain their trust, and then it, then builds a bit better relationship and stronger rapport. So you've been in your role for seven years and your role has grown quite a bit since you started in it. What would you say have been your biggest achievements so far? So yeah, going on seven years, I think my biggest achievement is having kids being able to just openly talk about sex, openly talk about STIs, openly talk about needles. That's probably the biggest accomplishment I've had. When I first started, it's like, oh, yeah, you can do that, but you can do it with them kids over there. These kids really need it. Well, it's not. Them kids, they're the ones that are risk takers. They're the ones that are telling you they're doing that. But you don't realise. And, they, you know, I've built a relationship with the kids, obviously. But it's their, you know, their kids are the ones as well that are, that are experimenting, but I'm very quiet and subtle about it. And I guess the biggest outcome is being able to now openly go there and say, yeah, he's a sexual health worker. And kids just openly saying, Kev, I get a text message, Kev, can you help organise a sexual health checkup? Um, that's probably the biggest accomplishment, I, and I guess that's what I really, I really got now in my position that I do. And then that's where I'll get the more of a drive when I'm doing these new projects, with new groups, new projects, then being able to try and get that feeling back with kids that openly opening up and going, okay, cool. Took me about two or three years to try and get it open and out there and just enabled people to continue to talk about it. And I guess now it's happening. And now when I do new projects, it's not three years, it's about three to six weeks till the kid opens up and goes, 
hey, Kev, do you think we can um, organise a sexual health checkup? Or we go to a visit at a sexual health clinic and then they go, oh, yeah, and then the kids want to refer themselves to get checked up. So based on those successes that you've had, what would you say is the most important thing for health professionals to know about talking to Aboriginal young people about sexual health? The relationship building is the biggest key. Uh, going out and not just expecting. You've got to go out and you've got to work hard to get what you want to get. So if you have gone out with the mindset that you know you want to try and promote sexual health or you want to try and promote um, diabetes, you know, you want to, all the promotion, health promotion, whatever it is, if you want to go and promote someone's healthy lifestyle, you've got to actually put in your plan, your project plan. Give yourself six weeks. If you don't know the community, you've got to give yourself longer. It could be going out there and just engaging, introducing yourself, and then sitting around for a cup of tea, a cup of tea, a coffee. If it's young kids, going out to an outreach and just hanging there and, and, and having a presence, and you just slowly conversate with your topic that you, you want to sort of start covering. You don't want to go out there and say, "Hey, I'm Kev Heath, and oh, I do sexual health. What are you doing? Do you want to get tested? Like it doesn't work like that." So I, I think it's it's the same with every target group you want to go with. You know, if it's whether it's elderly people, whether it's young non-indigenous people, whether it's cold background, whatever it is, it's you got to build that relationship. And and I guess you, if your project's got to be done within twelve weeks, you've got to allow yourself to have fifteen, sixteen weeks, and, and you've got to have the, the ability to show them your time. Your time is money. So if people can see that you're putting time and effort in, they know you're serious about it. And I guess that's where I'm really good at what we we're really good at what we do at Harp because we take that into consideration. Our Harp unit doesn't just go out and say we want to do this. We go out, we do the research, we go to the key stakeholders, and we talk to them and say, you know, this is what we want to do. How can we do it? And cater to them. And when we do it, we, we do it, and it looks good because, yeah, Harp. The harp unit or the people within the harp unit are doing these projects, but they've gone out and they've looked at who they can be the key people to do the partnership with, and they let them be a part of it. They don't just say, "Oh, it's Kev Heath's program," or it's you know, you know, it's Stacey's uh, Stacey's program. It's their program. We partner with them and give them a sense of ownership, and then from that is when you see results. Conversations about young people and sex can't just be all about risk and STI prevention. We hear from both young people and from people who work in the field that we need to talk about things like consent and respectful relationships as well. We spoke to sex educator and intimacy coach, Georgia. I work with clients on an individual basis as well as couples. We run courses and workshops on um, pleasure, consent, intimacy. And a lot of the work I do is based on getting people back into their bodies, whether that's the association with their bodies, again, how they want their relationships or sexual relationships to be, and, and really practical ways to get there. So as you just said, your work has a strong focus on intimacy and pleasure in helping people to enjoy sensuality. And I'd imagine that some people might feel a little bit alarmed at those words being used in the context of people who are in or just out of their teens. Mm. Can you explain why your work is relevant and important for young people? Yeah, so we teach young people how to do everything. We spend 12 years at school getting them to, to do all of the work that we deem as really important. But 
so much of that is missed in the education we do on relationships and sex. And there's this huge space that young people don't know how to relate. They don't know how to relate safely within their own consent. They don't know how to express what they want. They don't know what they want. But then also pleasure is this thing that is almost too scary to teach young people in the fear that if they know about pleasure, then they'll be having more sex. And we're starting to see that this idea of teaching young people about sex is going to be damaging to them, where it's the reverse. People who are informed, who, who can have experience of getting to know what sex is, what pleasure is, what their anatomy is, are less likely to have relationships that are damaging and are able to navigate those situations a bit better. So, yeah, it, we're, we're moving through a time, particularly with everything going on in the media around assault, that more than ever we're, we're changing the way we think about the way we educate people, but young and old, and realising how important it is to have these conversations around sex. And, and I feel we can have conversations around consent with young young people people as young as two whether it's the discussion around do you want to play with my toy and having those ability to that ability to for them to get into their body but then to also uh, assess how another person is that we're no longer just seeing consent as the the yes or the no affirmation but how is someone reacting? How is their body present with you? Is this something that they really want to do? So consent and pleasure and sex as a way to communicate and connect rather than as something that's scary. So young people often report that traditional sex education, like the kind they receive in school, is awkward and uncomfortable for them and they don't find it comfortable to have these conversations with a lot of adults. Mm. So what are your strategies for getting young people engaged and interested in having these conversations about sex? Yeah, so it's really important to look at what they want to know. Uh, So much of the way that we teach sex is very heteronormative, so man and woman, penis, vagina, but we know that that's not the way that everyone is having sex these days. So once again, coming back to looking at sex as something that's not just risk aversive. So often in the classroom, there's um, discussion around the prevention of STIs, the prevention of pregnancy, rather than what sex is, what sex means. Um, And We hear a lot that these conversations can be awkward, um, but so much of that comes down to the educator who's holding the space. If when I'm with working with particularly young people, but even with um, older people or people who are older than me, um, in the way that we can have a conversation that normalizes the way we speak about sex really sets the standard as to how people respond. So there's a, there's a lot of work that we need to do with young people and in educating them on what sex is, but then there's even more work to be done on the educators. How can we empower these educators to have the conversations so they're not awkward with young people? 
So consent has been a big topic recently. Mm. It's been getting a lot of media attention, especially for young women. A recent report by the Australian Human Rights Commission revealed that around one in 20 university students experienced sexual assault in 2016, which kicked off conversations around the country. How do you approach the topic of consent when you're working with young people? Yeah. Yeah, so this is particularly being in this work every day. I will speak with a young woman who has had an experience of assault, whether that is uh, a client or whether that is someone who I've just met. People, uh, it the cases of assault and in the world that we're in at the moment is so prolific um, that in having these conversations about consent, it's really important. Um, in approaching the topic of consent with young people, a great, we're still, it's a shame, but we use a lot of analogies mm-hmm. because using an analogy makes the understanding of consent and sex easier to understand. There's two ways that I could do this. Um, the first is there's a great analogy it's online and it might be um, useful for for you to share it uh, with Mm -hmm. this podcast it's called t the t consent yeah so it pretty much looks at how you would offer someone a cup of tea Uh, if you offer someone a cup of tea and they say no you won't make it for them if you offer someone a cup of tea they say yes and then they realize oh no they actually don't want that cup of tea you won't pour it down their throat so that with sex and and just making it a really easy thing to understand then sort of reshapes how we think about sex and and the constant um, conversations around it and the ability to change your mind and then also the ability to own that and respect it when someone else has changed their mind. The next is uh, what I do in workshops. I do it with couples or with people who are in a a touch-based exercise and it's something called the three-minute game whereby two people will ask two questions. Uh, The first is, how do you want to be touched? And the second is, how do you want to touch me? And they'll both have a go at answering and and performing the type of touch that is desired or, or wanted. So in that, it allows for two people to practice that and then to also give words to to give uh, instruction and to be constantly speaking throughout it so the discussion around sex the discussion around consent and what we want is is still going and it's about developing that that dialogue and then the awareness around it and ultimately the ability to embody consent. So that's something that a lot of young people struggle with, isn't it? The actual verbalisation of their desires and their interests. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we hear it a lot that people say, oh, well, you know, if the spark's there, then we shouldn't have to speak. It should just be there. But that, yeah, it's very much the opposite. If you can have a conversation about what you want, it allows you to get to know what your body wants, how it feels, what feels good for you. And sort of taking the pressure off that other person to know exactly what you want in that moment 
because if you don't know what you want to need and and how to express it then it's almost impossible for them to know it too so in having the ability to speak about it 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 takes the the pressure and the fear of the other person of doing something that you don't want and then it also takes the the pressure off you knowing that you're you're safe with your partner with that person um in knowing that they they've got you and they're going to hold you within your own consent so what advice would you give to health professionals who work with young people about talking about these topics that can sometimes be difficult to raise yeah a lot of health professionals really struggle to have conversations around sex because it is this it's an area that not many people have done work in and they don't feel that is it is something that they can speak to if someone is speaking to them about sex consent pleasure anything that they feel they can't speak to them about to hold space for them to be engaged to listen to hear them without judgment without fear and then to be able to provide resources for them so to be really clued into where they can go whether it is a sexual health clinic or whether it is to see a sex educator or intimacy coach to be aware of people within different spaces that they can refer to because there's nothing worse than someone feeling that they can't meet someone's needs and then then shutting them down because for a young person who's opening up and feeling really vulnerable and and needing the help from a health practitioner and not getting it yeah to have that that sort of access to practitioners that can speak to the work of sex So let's end on a really positive note. Can you tell us what you think your biggest success has been while you've been doing this work? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, there's been there's been so many. Um I feel that the I know that the work is really important when I will have a conversation with a complete stranger and they are so eager to speak about sex um, regardless of their age, gender, background, religious beliefs. It to have someone in my role and to for them to be able to speak about uh, their deepest darkest secret or a concern or a fetish or some pleasure or or just to be heard. I know that this work is yeah, it's it's what we need right now. So just those daily conversations to to be able to speak to friends family and strangers about that that's been that's been a big success that was kevin heath from the southeastern sydney local health district hiv and related programs unit and georgia grace from the indigo project with some great insights on working with young people and making sex ed fun and accessible you've been listening to the sydney sexual health center podcast check out our twitter and facebook this week for more about youth week And remember to hear more from us, make sure you subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about us by sharing the link.